I invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and open it again to the letter to the Hebrews. Again, in Hebrews chapter 10, we'll finish up Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, beginning in verse 26 and going through verse 39. Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. Uh, there has been a, a theme, a trend of sorts of late over the last several years, uh, maybe over the last decade, but especially over the last five years or so, of prominent Christians in places of ministry leadership and influence, uh, band leaders, pastors, um, uh, others in ministry who have gone through this process of deconstructing their faith. And, and deconstruction from a theological perspective is to, to take your faith, all the things you believe, ask all these really hard questions of it, take it all apart, inspect all of its pieces, and then ideally reconstructing, putting it back together more faithfully or, or stronger than it was at the beginning. However, we've seen a lot of these different ministry leaders, ministry uh, or even Christian celebrities deconstructing and staying deconstructed to the point where they walk away from the faith entirely. John Steingard, the lead singer of the Christian band, or formerly Christian band, Hawk Nelson, is one of these. Michael Gunger and his wife Lisa, uh, both of the band Gunger, have gone through this process of deconstruction and, and have called themselves atheists or agnostic now. Joshua Harris, who was a, a prominent pastor uh, at a very young age, has uh, recently, in the last couple of years, done the very same thing, deconstructed left the faith, walked away, said essentially uh, uh, something to the effect of, I no longer can call myself a Christian by all the things that I know a Christian is. What do we do about all these deconstructing Christians? All of these people who, who at one time professed faith in Jesus, but now walk away from it or have said, I no longer have that faith. I've left it behind. I've moved on to other things. I've evolved in my understanding of God and who he is. I'm not sure what we do with all of these people, quite honestly. What we see happening, though, is a process that that we would call, from a theological standpoint, apostasy, which is a, a turning away from a faith once professed. I'm not sure what to do with all these individuals in the world who are who, who deconstruct and never return to their faith. But I do know what Scripture says to us, how it warns us as Christians uh, about the temptation to walk away. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39, we have a, a strong warning from the author of Hebrews not to shrink back, not to turn away from the faith, but rather to go on persevering. And in his warning not to shrink back from the faith, he, he warns that apostasy, turning away from faith in Christ once professed, comes with severe judgment from God. But those who persevere by faith will, on the other hand, inherit a great reward. Here's our main idea from the text this morning. That saving faith, faith that really saves, is an instrumental faith. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that is at work in the life of an individual. An instrumental faith that perseveres, that that gets through the hard times. Saving faith is not an ornamental faith. As many of these Christians who have deconstructed and left the faith have said, John Steingart especially, that he once wore his faith like a sweater. It was comfortable, it was cozy, kept him warm, kept kept him feeling well. But he would notice maybe a string out of place or something he wasn't sure what to do with. So he'd pull on that string and before very long he would see his whole faith unravel. He, he wore his faith in a sort of ornamental way. It was just decoration for his life, something to give him comfort, but not something that actually functioned. Saving faith, dear friends, is not worn like a sweater. 
Saving faith is an instrumental faith. It's a faith at work and a faith that works to help us to persevere even through difficult questions and especially through difficult times and even suffering as Christians. This morning as we see this warning against turning away and encouragement to remain faithful from Hebrews chapter 10, we need to, first of all, heed the warning. Hear the warning and heed the warning of only having a decorative, only having an ornamental faith. And on the other side of it, we need to ensure that our faith, the faith that we hold, the trust that we have placed in Jesus, is of the structural type of faith, the integral type of faith, the instrumental kind of faith that works and is at work in us. Would you join me by standing as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading His Word, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. You'll remember last week, the author of Hebrews encouraged the the, those to whom he is writing, these Jewish background believers, with the confidence that they have to enter into the presence of God, to draw near to God, to hold fast to their faith, and to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And he continues here in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but rather a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But... Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is God's word. You may be seated. Saving faith is an instrumental faith that that perseveres. Saving faith is an instrumental faith that preserves the soul of the one that holds it. So let's look at the warning and also the encouragement here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. First from verses 26 through 31, the warning. Beware the danger of walking away from faith. Beware the danger of turning your back on that confession that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 26 says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Notice that the author of Hebrews is here speaking in the first person plural. If we go on sinning deliberately, he's giving her a collective warning to the Hebrews, but he's including himself in it as well. This warning against deliberate sin, against sinning on purpose, even though you have, in an unrepentant way, even though you have professed faith in Jesus and supposedly repented at one time, is a collective warning. We all are in danger of sinning unrepentantly after once professing faith. This is a danger for all of us, friends, pastors included. We all need to heed this warning. 
There is no one that is above or beyond the need for caution against turning away from faith. Caution against sinning deliberately after professing some sort of faith in Jesus. The author says that for the one who goes on sinning deliberately after having received the, uh, the knowledge of the truth, for him there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins. Now this indicates uh, that there is no longer a sacrifice other than the death of Christ that can bring forgiveness. The one who turns away from Jesus and denies him, denies the saving effect of his death and resurrection, denies that his death meant anything at all and goes on sinning unrepentantly, that person has no other means of forgiveness to turn to. If he says the death of Jesus accomplishes nothing for me, I once believed it, but I don't anymore, what sort of forgiveness can he return to? What sort of sacrifice can he turn to except for that of Christ? The author of Hebrews then makes an argument from, uh, in verses 28 through 31, an argument from the lesser to the greater. He, he argues about the lesser. He says, anyone that set aside the law of Moses, here speaking about setting aside specifically the Ten, Command, Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, and most specifically the first three, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall have no idols, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, which means to, to call yourself a believer, to call yourself part of God's people, but live differently from that, to take his name in a pointless way. A person who sets aside those has set aside God's authority in their life altogether. And, and among those who were part of the people of Israel, those people who were part of, they were part of God's covenant people, a promise-based people, if they set aside, if they ignored, if they lived contrary to those commands to, to have no other God, to have no idols, not to take the Lord's name in vain, they were to be cut off from the people of Israel. Those who worshipped idolatrously in an open and a brazen fashion among the people of Israel were to be executed. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, says the author. How much worse then will be the punishment for the one who has not just rejected the law of God, but who has rejected the Son of God? Apostasy, turning away from the faith, looks like, first of all, disregarding the Son, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? This is to to trample over, to walk over without regard to the full revelation of God to humanity in the person that is Jesus the Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll remind you of how the author started his letter. He said, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, through his law, through the scriptures. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It's one thing to reject what God has said through human prophets. It's another thing entirely to set aside, to disregard, to disrespect, to ignore God himself in human flesh, the Son, Jesus Christ. Apostasy, turning away from the faith, starts with disregarding Jesus as the perfect revelation of God to man. It also looks like devaluing Christ's blood. Verse 29 says, Profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. This isn't saying that profaning the blood of Christ is saying that Christ died for no purpose, for no reason, that his death was just like every other human death in human history. It does nothing special. There's nothing particularly saving about his death. There's nothing to see here or to see there at the cross. It is to say that Christ's death was pointless and and that there is no new and living way by which we have access to God as we saw from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 20 last week. 
To say Christ died for nothing is to say there is no way to God. His death accomplished no access to God. Also, apostasy, turning away from the faith, more than trampling underfoot the Son of God, more than profaning His blood, also looks like blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The author says that the one who has turned away has outraged the Spirit of grace. There is here much, I think, in common between uh, what the author of Hebrews says and what Jesus says about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the course of the Gospels. This sort of outraging of the Holy Spirit, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is, is understood to be a lifelong and willful rejection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Conviction of sin, conviction of your need for salvation and forgiveness, of being made right with God. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit also denies divine action in the world, seeing it and disregarding it, or seeing it and attributing it to some other force, to some other power, attributing it even to Satan. Friend, if you're afraid that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and there's no forgiveness for you, you are probably not actually in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you're concerned about rejecting the Holy Spirit your whole life long, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in you. So listen to that conviction. Respond to that conviction with repentance and faith in Jesus. Apostasy looks like disregarding the Son, disrespecting the, His death and resurrection for sins, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And as we see in these verses, in this warning against turning away from the faith, apostasy, leaving the faith, saying Jesus doesn't matter, he did nothing for us, ultimately results in the legitimate and certain judgment of God. The author says, we know him, verse 30. We know God who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We know God who said the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These two quotations that we have in verse 30, vengeance is mine, I will repay, the Lord will judge his people. Both come from Deuteronomy chapter 32, that fifth book of the Old Testament, the last book of God's law in the Old Testament. There in Deuteronomy 32, God is warning his people, Israel, before they go into the land of Canaan, about what will happen if they break the covenant of their relationship, if they disregard the Ten Commandments, if they begin worshiping idols. God says, if you do this, vengeance is mine, I will repay it. I will judge my people. The same God who judges faithless Israelites in the Old Testament also judges those who once professed a disingenuous faith. Those who once professed faith in Jesus, but then later in life, in an unrepentant way, turned on that to say, nope, never believed it. I was wrong. That's foolishness. I've moved beyond that now. Here we see the strength of the warning here the starkness of the warning that to transgress the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints is to deny in its entirety the truth of the gospel and and the efficacy of christ's death that christ's death actually achieved forgiveness of sins for those who believe him that his resurrection actually justifies us makes us right with god as we have certain confidence in him a denial of Christ's work on the cross, a denial of the full revelation of God in the Son, Jesus, will be met with the strictest judgment from the only righteous and perfect judge. The, Hebrews make, uh, the author of Hebrews makes no bones about it. He wants to make absolutely certain that those that he is writing to know the danger of falling away from faith, of leaving faith behind, of evolving or moving on to something beyond Christ's sufficient sacrifice. In all of this, dear friend, dear friend, know, in light of this warning, that professions of faith matter. 
To say, I trust Jesus, I'm following Jesus, is not a confession to take or to make lightly. Professions of faith matter. So ensure this morning, Christian, friend who is listening, ensure that your profession of faith is genuine, is authentic, that you've meant it, that you understand all that the gospel implies for you, and you have really given your life in obedience to Jesus. The kind of faith that can be walked away from as we've said, is more like a decoration. It's more like an ornament that is uh, that mo- more like that than it is a foundational reality of a person's life. An ornamental faith looks like the kind of faith that can be put up and taken down, that, that, that can be looked at from time to time, maybe for a moment of encouragement, but in times of deepest crisis, it, it doesn't actually influence or change what we think or how we pray or how we live. An ornamental faith looks like Jesus painted in red, white, and blue, or maybe just red, or maybe just blue. A G, a ornamental faith looks like Jesus wrapped in the stars and stripes, or the hammer and sickle, or in a politically charged rainbow. An ornamental faith takes the blood-stained cross of Christ, makes it a gold-plated replica, and hangs it above a bed or a fireplace so that you could just bring the room together. An ornamental faith, a decorative faith, replaces the call to take up your cross and follow after Jesus with bumper sticker platitudes like God is my co-pilot. Yeah, I'm speaking sternly because the author of Hebrews, God in his word through this human author speaks sternly. Don't have a decorative faith. Don't have an ornamental faith. It's too easy to walk away from. It's too easy to take down off of the wall when you're tired of it. It's too easy to walk away from a fake Jesus, from a watercolor Jesus. I speak sternly because I have a deep and abiding fear, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, that among those who call themselves Christians in America today are too many who hold a merely ornamental faith, a merely decorative faith that looks like tchotchkes you can buy at Hobby Lobby and throw on your wall, that looks like bumper stickers you can slap on your car to say, I'm a Christian. But dear friends, just simply having those things on your wall, having those stickers on your car, having those watercolor pictures of Jesus hanging in your bedroom, do not make your faith instrumental. I fear that by our shallow understanding of the gospel, by our thin application of the saving work of Jesus to our lives, that we have made a mockery of Jesus. Now listen, I'm not speaking to all of you in this room, but speaking broadly, but at the same time, if you're feeling some conviction from the Holy Spirit, listen to it. I'm terrified of the possibility that behind our church going and our song singing and our Bible reading is the pursuit of a Jesus that's been made in our own image. A feckless, pastel-colored, soft-edged, unimposing, polite, passive, follow-your-dreams-affirming Jesus who agrees with all our political leanings and never challenges us to self-sacrificial love of enemy and passion for the lost and hurting. Ornamental Jesuses like this, in all of their varieties, dear friends, cannot save you. Will not save you. And faith in ornamental Jesuses will always fail to persevere. It will never fail to land you as the object of God's righteous judgment. Friend, professions of faith matter. They have eternal consequences. If you have said, Christ is my king, dear friend, make sure you mean it. Make sure that your faith is more than just a sweater that you wear to keep you warm in the cold. 
Make sure that it's more than just a security blanket that you can cuddle up with on a lonely night. Make sure that your faith is is not just an external thing you can put on in times of trouble, but that your faith is, is deeper even than the bones of your own body. That your faith in Christ is, is not just something that, that, that you look to to encourage you on a hard day, but that your faith in Christ is something that enables you to persevere through difficult days because you know Him who suffered for your sins and was raised again. Yeah, amen. Friend, professions of faith matter. And if your faith is anything like a sweater that you would wear and not an instrumental, fundamental, integral part of your life, I encourage you this morning to repent of that sort of feckless, pointless, meaningless faith and have a faith, place a trust, put your confidence in Jesus Christ who was raised, who, who died for your sins and was raised from the dead to make you right with God. The real Jesus of history who really was God in flesh, who dealt with hard questions and dealt with difficult people and pointed them to God the Father all along the way. Look to him, have faith in him. Make sure your profession of faith in him is genuine. We have a warning in Hebrews chapter 10. Beware the danger of falling away from faith, of walking away from the faith, of saying that Jesus died for no purpose and nothing. He was not the son of God. I was misled. Beware of walking away from that. But I appreciate it. I'm glad that the author of Hebrews doesn't leave us with just that warning. Like to, like to walk away from scripture going, goodness, now what do I do? He doesn't leave us with a burden that cannot be lifted. Instead, he leaves his listeners, he leaves his readers, he leaves us today with an encouragement, an encouragement to persevere with genuine instrumental faith. Beware the danger of walking away from your faith, but dear friends, persevere with the genuine and instrumental faith that you've already shown. He begins in verse 32. But... I love the word but in Scripture because it always, it always indicates a contrast to what came first, right? Or what came before it. There was a strong warning. And now verse 32, but, which means there's something different coming here. But you, dear reader, you, dear Christian, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, being partners with those who are treated this way. Remember the days when you had compassion on those who were in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering, the looting of your own property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Even as he's warned them sternly, he encourages them warm-heartedly. Persevere, Christians, with genuine instrumental faith. We see what an instrumental faith is powerful to do. An ornamental faith will, will wither away, will, will, uh, will fray at the ends, and, and will come unraveled as soon as you start pulling at things. But an instrumental faith, a fundamental faith, a faith that is integral to the life of the individual, faith in Jesus, has great power to persevere through many hardships. We see in these verses that the instrumental faith that the Hebrews, to whom our author is writing, their instrumental faith at one time enabled them to endure hardship to bear public dishonor for being called a Christian, to to even identify publicly with fellow believers who had been abused and were being abused publicly to say, brother, sister, I see you. And in seeing you and in recognizing you publicly, I know that I'm putting myself in danger too. But Christ has died. He has been risen. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. There is salvation in his name. I cannot help but speak about what I have seen and heard, and I stand with you regardless of what may come. 
Instrumental faith drives compassion among the brothers and sisters, among the the assembly of the faithful to go and to visit, to care for those of their assembly, those of their churches who had been imprisoned falsely. It leads them to have joy, to rejoice as their personal property is looted by non-believers and by those who would seek to confiscate what belonged to them in order to, to punish them, in order to oppress them, in order to discourage them from being Christian. Do you see all the things, all the real endurance of real hardship and real suffering that the faith that the Hebrews had in Jesus enabled them to do? Real faith has power to push through hardship. So the author says, don't throw it away. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Don't throw away the faith you once professed in Jesus because there's a great reward for you. Confidence in Christ has, dear friends, the reward of great blessing from God. That blessing is the promise of eternal life. That blessing is God's abiding presence in you and with you today. Endurance of faith amid suffering was necessary at one time for these Hebrews and it will be necessary again and again for them and for us until Christ returns. Verse 39. I should say in verses 37 and 38, the author of Hebrews is quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. Yet a little while, the coming one will come. He'll not delay. Speaking of the, the imminent return of Jesus. My righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, which means if he walks away from the faith, I'll not be there to to rescue him back. But he says in verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're of those who have faith that perseveres. We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Verse 39, what an encouragement. Even as strongly as the author of Hebrews warns those that he's writing to, he encourages them all the more strongly still in verse 39. We're not like that. It's, a, it's dangerous to walk away from the faith. Watch out. Be careful. Guard your heart. But no, dear friend, we're not. We're not of those. We've already displayed. You've already displayed the kind of faith that endures hardship. You've already shown that your faith is instrumental and genuine and fundamental to who you are. So be encouraged. In light of our author's encouragement to persevere, to press on with genuine, instrumental faith in life. Friend, this morning, be assured, be made confident of the preserving power of your faith in Jesus. Be assured of it. And in light of your faith, in light of that assurance, draw near to God. Do not shrink back. Endure with confidence in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, who bore your sins on the cross, and who was raised from the dead to give you victory over sin and death today and forever. A genuine instrumental faith that works itself out in your life. A faith that is at work. A faith that regularly leads to confident approach to God. A faith that is, uh, this is a faith that is not afraid to ask God the hard questions. Why, God? How is this so? What are you doing? How is it that bad things can happen to otherwise seemingly good people? God, why, if you are good, is there so much suffering in the world? A genuine instrumental faith is not afraid to ask these questions of God. A trust in the real Jesus of Scripture who suffered for sins and raised himself from the dead is a faith that anchors your soul to the 
uh, to the preserving power of the immediate presence of God. Beware. Don't treat your faith lightly or tritely or flippantly. Hold fast to it because faith genuinely expressed, faith genuinely held uh, confidence in Jesus that is instrumental and integral to your life is faith that will persevere through hardship, through suffering, through even the observation of the suffering of others. It is interesting among those who have deconstructed their faith and walked away, most of them do so because they can't find in, in their version of faith, in their sweater-like ornamental faith, they can't find an answer to all of the great suffering in the world among those who do not seem to have deserved it. They see children who are starving, malnourished, even the victims of civil wars in other countries all around the world. They see people dying of otherwise treatable illnesses in developing countries. They look at all of that suffering and say, how could a loving God allow this? A faith that endures, a faith that perseveres, a faith that is integral and instrumental in our life looks on that suffering, yes, does not deny it recognizes at the same time that God is good, that he is powerful, that he is sovereign, that he loves every human being, but also recognizes that God uses and intends for some of us who who are not suffering to give of ourselves, to give of our lives, to ease the suffering of others in the name of Jesus and with the gospel at the same time. I'm not saying it's an easy question to answer. If God is so good, why is there so much suffering in the world? It's not an easy question but an integral faith, an instrumental faith, a faith that understands that Jesus suffered greater than any human being ever has or ever will in human history in order to pay for our sins on the cross. A person with a faith in Jesus who suffered that much can see God's hand and God's work even in the suffering, uh, the worst suffering that takes place around the world. I don't mean to treat this tritely. I don't mean to treat this flippantly, but I do mean to say that with faith in Christ, with genuine trust and confidence in Jesus, we have a kind of faith that asks hard questions and continues persevering and pursuing God in the midst of hard questions, knowing that in his sovereignty and his power, we will have in his timing answers to all of those things. Dear friend, this morning, beware the danger of walking away from faith of treating Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection lightly or flippantly. Beware of deconstructing your faith and never reconstructing it again. Hear me this morning. Don't be afraid to ask God hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask hard questions of Scripture and of your faith. God can stand up to them. He's, He's good enough to endure your hardest questions. But if you are going through the process of deconstructing, friend, do so with an eye towards Scripture and a hope in God and a trust in Jesus. Allow Him as you work through those hard questions to reconstruct your faith even more strongly, even more fervently, even more faithfully. Friend, beware of the danger of falling away from the faith, of disregarding God and disregarding Christ's death on the cross. And you who have faith in Jesus, ensure that your faith is of the structural type, of the integral type. Not of the ornamental, but of the instrumental type. Make sure that your Jesus is more than just a pastel-colored watercolor painting hanging in your bedroom. Make sure that your understanding of the cross is more than just a gold-plated decoration above your fireplace. Make the gospel instrumental, foundational, to who you are 
to your life in this world, to your loving and service to others, to your proclamation of hope in the name of Jesus. Saving faith is an instrumental faith that perseveres. Friends, this morning, if you're of the type that don't have this faith or you're recognizing that your faith has only been ornamental your whole life, that it, that it doesn't stand up to much challenge, to much difficulty in life, I invite you this morning to start anew, to repent of old sins, to repent of, of making Jesus a caricature in your life and instead to receive the real and true historical Jesus, the Son of God who really gave his life on the cross for sins and really raised his life from the dead to make you right with God. I invite you to have an instrumental faith today to place real and saving faith in Jesus who really was raised from the dead for your salvation. To be like those who, who do not shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. You can do this in a simple way as recognizing that your sin, your rebellion against God has separated you from fellowship with him. And in sorrow for your sin, turn to God, ask him for his forgiveness, express your faith, your trust, your confidence that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God, that he was raised from the dead. Confess it in in prayer to God, even in the quiet of your heart right now. God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he was raised again. Jesus, I believe, I trust that you are Lord and King of my life. I need you to save me. I need you to redeem me. I'm trusting in your sacrifice, in your death on the cross to pay for all my sins. I'm not trusting myself. I'm not trying to work harder to earn God's favor anymore. I'm simply receiving what you have done for me. Jesus, save me. Make me new. Give me life. Give me a faith that perseveres. Give me a faith that preserves me for all time. Friend, you can have confidence. You can have assurance this morning that if you have confessed Jesus as Lord of your life in a confession that really matters, a profession that really matters is genuine, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you have the promise of Scripture from Romans chapter 10, verse 10, that you are saved, that you are right with God even now. And even though you may encounter many difficult questions in life, in the world, that you have the assurance of God's unfailing, never-ending presence with you now and for eternity. Here at First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, I don't want to be a church that's afraid of hard questions. I don't want to be a church that encourages people to have merely a decorative or ornamental faith. I want for us to be a church who dig deep, who ask hard questions, who ask God to answer our hard questions and give faith even when we don't have clear answers to hard questions so that our faith, our trust in Jesus will be of the instrumental type, of the foundational type, of the integral type that perseveres, that perseveres. May it be so among us. Let's pray.